Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Each week we come together uh, talking about a spectrum of topics. It might be one week, it might be about ministry. The next week, it might be uh, focused on doctrine and theology. And then the next week, it might be focused on missions or or how God's Word applies to your life, uh, topical things. Uh, But this week is is very special to me because I have uh, Van Sneed with me. Uh, He is the host of the PS Plus. And so if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that uh, the PS Plus is a supplement show uh, that comes out every other week addressing uh, or going deep into theological topics to help uh support all of the conversations that, are, that we're having every week with pastors. And so Van does an awesome job uh, of, of providing us bite-sized segments devoted to better understanding God's Word. Now, not too long ago, he and I sat down and had a conversation about dispensational theology. Uh, and what we mean when we say dispensational theology is we, we're talking about a systematic approach to God's Word that allows you to study it so that it's the most consistent in terms of literality. And we had a great conversation about that. If you haven't listened to that episode, this might this might actually be an opportunity for you to hit pause and, and go back and listen to that episode before you listen to this one or listen to this one. And then, and then maybe afterwards, go back and listen to the other conversation that we had several episodes ago about dispensationalism. But either way, today we're going to have a a conversation about covenant theology, which is another systematic approach to studying the Bible. And a lot of people uh, ascribe to covenant theology. It's a very common uh, approach, a very common hermeneutic or a way of interpreting God's Word. And uh, we want to talk about that today and talk about how it differs from dispensationalism. So so hang out with us and check this episode out. Van, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me, dude. It's, all, it's always good to to hang out with you. We got to do this more frequently. I hope that I get less nervous. Every time I do it. <laughs> um, okay. So before we get started, yeah, yeah. when you first started doing the PS plus, you, you pretty quickly uh, got into this, this topic of theology uh, and, and how to have a proper theology, specifically how to have a proper hermeneutic mm-hmm. is what you're really getting into. At the end of the day, it's, it's about how do we interpret God's word in a way that, that glorifies him. Yeah. What made you start with this versus, I mean, there's a lot of stuff for us to talk about on the PS Plus. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of different subjects that I know that you want to get to. Why'd you start here? So uh, if you were to listen to all of the PS Plus, you would think it's just on dispensational theology yeah. and hermeneutics, and that's it. Because over three quarters of the episodes so far. So many. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a big topic. Mm-hmm. But we actually started by responding to some of Alan Shelby's conversation about charismatic theology and the charismatic movement. Yeah, yeah. And so we were looking at the scriptural evidences for why they interpret the scriptures the way they do mm-hmm. and then do what they do. And we said, hey, we don't agree with this, but it's not enough to say, not that. You have to say, well, then do this instead. Mm-hmm. And so a natural segue was into, well, let's talk about dispensationalism. And that's basically been the majority of the podcast right, until yeah. recently. Yeah. And even in our last time together, we, we did a deep dive on that. And so mm-hmm. this today's episode kind of is going to build upon that. And we're going to be talking about obviously covenant theology. And so maybe we could just start by you giving us an explanation for covenant theology. What does that mean? And 
uh, how you know how has that been used by theologians over time? Sure. So dispensationalism is a is a framework by which we understand scripture, mm-hmm. and covenant theology is a different framework by which different people understand scripture differently. Yeah. And so when a covenant theologian looks at the scriptures, the framework is covenant, and a covenant is an agreement between two parties. Mm-hmm. In the case of covenant theology, this is an agreement that God institutes and makes, for the most part, with man in some context. Mm-hmm. And that agreement and those agreements we see in the Bible, those constitute the way in which we parse and understand how the Bible is structured. Yeah. And we'll get into this more today, but but right out the gate, I think it's important to understand that when we're talking about covenant theology, that doesn't necessarily uh, have anything to do with the covenants that we see in Scripture. In other words, these covenants of covenant theology are unique from, say, the Davidic covenant mm-hmm. or the Mosaic covenant. Yeah. Um, these are a different when we they when they say covenant they mean something slightly different than that even though they might tuck those covenants within their theology yeah. it's not specifically the ex- explicit covenants that we see in scripture yeah and so we'll we'll talk about this but part of the argument for covenant theology is that a biblical principle or concept can be valid even if it's not explicitly mentioned in scripture and we would agree with that for certain things uh, the, the concept of the rapture Mm-hmm. The Trinity; those aren't things that are explicitly mentioned in Scripture, but mm-hmm. principally, in comparing Scripture to Scripture, we can see. Mm-hmm. I think what we'll find is that the biblical covenants, and they would call them biblical or scriptural, mm-hmm. and in their mindset, it's not because that the theological covenants, the three that we're going to talk about, are invalid, but they are making a distinction between what's explicitly mentioned versus what is that framework. Yes, they're looking at a broad about. at a broader framework. Mm-hmm. So. Again, let's let's uncover that. Maybe you can just start by explaining the covenants that are espoused within covenant theology. Walk us through those covenants. There's two or three, sure. depending on who you talk to, I suppose. Right. Yes. So, and they are sequenced in such a way where, de- depending on who you are, you'll either talk about one and then two, or I guess zero, one and two, and that numbering will make sense mm-hmm. here in just a moment. There are three covenants, the covenant of redemption, there's the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Yeah. These are these three covenants. Okay. And so as we look at them, what we'll see is that the first covenant is what they will call pre-temporal and mm-hmm. intra-Trinitarian, mm. which is super fancy yeah. for saying before time. Yes. And within the Godhead. Okay. So in eternity past, whatever that means. God made a covenant with himself about what he would do in order to save individuals. Mm -hmm. And so the the Trinity all agrees together. The Father covenants or agrees that he is going to elect certain people that will be given to the Son. And that's a that's a topic in and of itself. Yes. That we can't. But it's a major implication of this theology. Yes. Not yes. everyone that is a covenant ascribes to covenant theology is a Calvinist, mm-hmm. but the theology itself lends itself to uh, un- uh, unconditional election mm-hmm. and predestination as defined by the Reformed. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
R.C. Sproul will say that covenant theology is Reformed theology. Yeah. He just puts those yeah, right together. a lot of people would. And it's it's very difficult practically to separate them. Mm-hmm. So I yes. think that's that's a that's good that we pointed it out because it's they're together but not, but they are. And we'll see that thread as we move through our conversation. Mm-hmm. So we have this covenant before time about what God is going to do. Right. So the Father is going to give an elect group of people to the Son. The Son is covenanting with the Godhead, that he is going to die for whoever is elect. Mm-hmm. And the Spirit is covenanting that the Spirit is going to seal those that the Son dies for and the Father elects. And those three, the Godhead is in agreement with this plan in eternity past. And this is referred to as the covenant of... Redemption. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and again, not everyone holds to that peace, right? Not everyone that's covenant does, but the majority of covenant theology people do. Yeah. And so where people don't hold to it, there are similarities between the covenant of grace and the covenant of redemption. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of overlap. Yeah. Okay. The difference being who's agreeing. And so okay. I think that's why sometimes we see some are, yes, the Godhead agreed and some are no, but yes, principally, practically. <laughs> okay. 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 So, so that's one of the covenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, continue walking us through what these, what these covenants are and, and what they imply. Sure. So the next is going to be the covenant and works. Okay. And I think if we are comparing it with dispensationalism, uh, scripture verses as far as the time frame is going to be very, very key. And so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll have time to touch it. There's literally a whole podcast series for yes, those that are curious. Yes, yeah, so yeah. there's the covenant of works, which is time frame wise from Genesis 1, to about Genesis 3, 6. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is that's pre-fall. And so what they're going to say is that God made a covenant with Adam, the terms of which were obedience equals life, disobedience equals death. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what we see in that pre-fall period. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then we've got this this covenant of works that God has with Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. The fall takes place. God changes his approach. So there would be, you know... uh, a shift that takes place here into the covenant of grace. Ex- explain that to us. Yeah. So when it comes to the covenant of grace, and, and this is where it gets really interesting because it's enacted essentially, their their proof text, a big proof text will be Genesis 3.15, mm-hmm. which if you go and you read Genesis 3.15, there is a promise. There is something that will happen in the future. And we know that this is the prophecy of this coming Messiah, this child, the seed of the woman, that will make all things right. Mm -hmm. And they'll look to that as the covenant of grace, Mm -hmm. where it promises salvation through Jesus Christ for all of mankind Mm -hmm. from that point forward. Yeah. Which is not dispensational. No. At all. No, because what they're saying is that from that moment, humanity had to put their trust in the Savior, mm-hmm. f- in order to receive His grace. Yes, um, and we'll we'll talk more about that. But so, as it concerns the, the covenant of grace, sometimes you'll hear uh, people in the covenant camp describe that differently. Um, they'll even sometimes try to s- sprinkle like dispensational concepts into it, and they'll talk about the the covenant of grace as as almost like in stages. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe address that for us a little sure. bit. What, like, why is <laughs> what's going on there? It's because the Bible has divisions, yeah. And you, at some point, you can't get around it, right? the The Bible is one way in some places, and another way in another place. And so, 
One of the biggest divisions that we see, and I and a lot of covenant theologians would, would talk about this, is essentially two dispensations. Some would or would not use that word within mm-hmm. the covenant of grace. Because when you establish the covenant of grace, essentially when Adam is still walking the earth, then all of humanity after that, well, they all constitute one people group under one covenant. They're they're obligated to obey it. Mm-hmm. The, the belief in Jesus Christ. So mm-hmm. everyone's obligated to the same thing. Yeah. And so those that are elected to do so, they constitute one people group, but they're called different things. Right. They're called Israel in one place. They're called the church in another place. And so same, same, mm-hmm. but two different dispensations. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, the elect of God is Israel. And in the New Testament, the elect of God is the church. Right. So you see those types of divisions, but you also see all of the covenants that covenant theologians would in general subscribe to. And there's there's some back and forth there, mm-hmm. but everyone's going to get down with the Noahic covenant. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to get down with the Abrahamic covenant. Well, those start, as it turns out, after Genesis 3. Right. And so you have the biblical covenants that we talked about, which essentially function as continuing revelation almost, mm-hmm. a succession until we get to the new covenant, which is the covenant that we're right. kind of getting to, which right. is also kind of the covenant of grace, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit more in terms of the implications specifically of covenant theology. And I think the major one, the one that requires the most amount of of effort and really maybe does has the most undoing is the issue of soteriology. Mm-hmm. The, their salvation doctrine is very difficult, and um, and I think they have a hard time reconciling their perspective. And I want you to explain that a little bit, especially this idea that salvation for Noah was Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, that's basically what they're espousing. So maybe explain how that unfolds um, in the Old Testament and how they understand it. Sure. So... Part of what we see, and we'll talk about this more, is that from a covenant perspective, salvation is the theme thematically. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, it, it kind of makes Jesus Christ the central focal point, which he is, mm-hmm. but it's the relationship to Jesus Christ, which is different than a dispensational perspective. Mm-hmm. So we look at Jesus Christ as the thing that the Bible is talking about, mm-hmm. but we don't look at the most important thing about the Bible, the theme of the Bible, as being God saved us. Mm-hmm. Really glad that he did. Right. That's a part of his plan, right. but not the entirety of it. Right. So from a covenant theology perspective, salvation for the Old Testament, anyone, is looking forward to the cross. Mm-hmm. So Noah, having faith, wasn't believing God's word and building a boat in spite not having experienced what God told him was going to happen, mm-hmm. it's Jesus Christ. Yeah, Abraham didn't believe God for something that was, in his mind, impossible at the time. Mm-hmm. It was Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So they look forward towards the cross, whereas we look backwards towards the cross. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's, it's interesting because right now we're recording this in Kansas City, Missouri, mm-hmm. and this is our perspective. But there are other parts of the world that are different, and I I just can't expect that other parts of the world are going to function exactly like Kansas City, Missouri, even though this is my frame of reference right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. It is very difficult for me 
to put my headspace back into an Old Testament way of doing things, an Old Testament dispensation, and just look at what the text says, right. that Abraham believed God, mm-hmm. not Jesus Christ, not his death, burial, and resurrection, but the words of God, right. and extrapolate from that. But what he meant to say, right. what's implied, even though it's not explicit, is faith in Christ. Yeah, it's a very difficult argument to make mm-hmm. because we don't see in these narratives, we see, we see that salvation came by faith. Mm-hmm. We see that salvation came by faith in a command, mm-hmm. in a word that came to a steward, uh, as we've talked about in the dispensational um, um, episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we don't see is, um, now everyone bow your heads and Pray uh, to repent of your sin mm-hmm. and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior through his death, burial, and resurrection yeah. and newness of life. And even the indwelling of the Spirit yeah. is not like that's a difficult thing for them to deal with. Yes, um, because, because that's not what the text no, says. No, it is not. And I think that that's why salvation that comes by grace through faith is so important to remember is that God's not changing that aspect. It, mm-hmm. There's always a faith component in what God has said. Right. But God has said different things, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. He's talking to different people. Yeah. But if you don't make a distinction, well, then you have to do an artificial synthesizing of the scriptures mm-hmm. that, as humbly as I know how to say, at best is naive, mm-hmm. and at worst it's just kind of dangerous. Yeah, 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 I agree. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is Carly Weber, and I am a student at LFBI. LFBI has consistently been used of the Lord to meet me where I'm at in whatever season and to draw me closer to Him. Every class that I've taken so far has very distinct takeaways that I counsel from, that I look back on, that have changed my relationship with the Lord. He is using it to mold me into the woman of God who He needs me to be to get His work done. And through that, I'm learning how to discern better in the world that I live in, how to better understand the world that I live in. Um, and how to how to fight with with my weapon, the Word of God, um, in this battle that's all spiritual uh, and none physical. I will look back on these classes for the rest of my life. To enroll for classes, visit lfbi.org. To support LFBI, please visit lfbi.org/support. And and so I think what we're getting at is that. You know, I think that what's happening, especially in covenant theology, is that they're they're so focused on New Testament doctrine uh, that, and and rightfully so. I mean, the, for us, New Testament doctrine uh, for the church age is the height mm-hmm. uh, of obedience to the Lord and our understanding of God. It is our perspective. Mm-hmm. It is Romans through Philemon. Um, but what is what we're seeing happen in covenant theology is is an imposition of the New Testament upon the Old Testament and demanding that what we would call dispensations, what they would call a covenant, right. a, the covenant of grace, demanding that it must that the Old Testament must be seen in terms of the New Testament lens right. is, is, again, like you said, it's, it's harmful um, and, and, and it doesn't work yeah. in terms of a hermeneutic, an interpretation of God's Word. Yeah, the Old Testament 
is is great. We're not trying to unhitch ourselves from it. Like right. that's yeah, that's not what we're saying. Absolutely. What we are saying is that the Old Testament and its commands were directed towards specific people groups, and it's super clear mm-hmm. because God says, "Hey, Israel, hear this. I'm talking to you." Mm-hmm. And so we don't we don't have to artificially synthesize anything. We can just recognize, oh, this is really good for me to know. And that's why a book like Romans is so key, because it really helps to understand the transition between where we were mm-hmm. to where we are. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that and you don't view the scriptures that way, well, then the covenants are, are technically, they're, they're valid for you. Mm-hmm. And so they never went away. You're still the same people. At a minimum, you have a really hard time explaining why yeah. they don't apply. Right, <laughs> like, right. Why you're not obeying the the laws of the old testament mm-hmm. you have a much more difficult time you know undoing that i know yeah. that i know that they would declare that that the, there's a new covenant mm-hmm. right there's a new aspect a new stage in the covenant of grace but it is dif- it makes it more difficult because mm-hmm. the lines aren't as clear and i think it also you know um lends this theology lends itself to making like you said before everything about me mm-hmm. Um, about my salvation, but but even as a New Testament believer, like somehow the Old Testament is about me too. Mm-hmm. And um, when God's talking about Israel, um, well, that's that's kind of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's dangerous as well. And so one of the other implications is this issue of not making the distinction, failing to make the distinction between the church and Israel. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little sure, bit? Sure, sure. So I I think you hit it when, when we look at the covenant of redemption, the covenant of works, the covenant of grace, all of that has to do objectively from their perspective mm-hmm. with how God relates to mankind, which makes the theme of the Bible how God relates to mankind, that aspect. Mm-hmm. So when you have these two unified people of God, well, then there's a couple of things. The The first is that there are specific promises that are made to Israel that you now take on for yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, the argument is... Or I guess what they would maybe say is, well, we're not about replacement theology. We're not replacing Israel. We simply are Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That, same, okay. same? I, I think, same? I think that's same, what my son same, would say. Same. He would say same, same. Right? <laughs> so functionally speaking, it's the same, right? Mm-hmm. There, okay, cool. So let's, let's go with it. There's one people of God. So then we have the different covenants, of which, again, there is a lot of disagreement about in the covenant theologian camp. I find it very interesting that I don't see a lot of covenant theologians, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not the end-all, be-all, but really embracing the Palestinian covenant. Mm-hmm. Why is it that we don't have a bunch of cool reform bros that are going to get going to get their land? Mm-hmm. It's 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 very it's very difficult for me to see that. Mm-hmm. I I think that maybe a covenantal perspective would make sense in 1947. I could, I could maybe get. You with know that. what, though, I, I think to your point, though, I do think that among this camp, mm-hmm. there is a tendency to be more political. Mm-hmm. In other words, to emphasize political issues, social justice issues, yeah. because I do think it's hard for them to separate and distinguish between the very kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. aspects of the nation of Israel and the very kingdom of God aspects of the, the, the New Testament Christian mission. Right. 
there's a blending, there's a mingling that takes place, and be, and and the failure to use dispensations blinds them to the fact that that's not actually for them. Right. And so what you'll have is in in those camps a lot saying the kingdom of heaven is saying the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't it be? Because there's only one group. There's only one elect of God. Yes. And so when you fail to make that distinction, if you have a land, then that means that there's a government. That means that you should be about government. And that mm-hmm. means that you should pursue those types of things. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to realize that you have a kingdom that you are sowing into, that it is spiritual in nature. It's mm-hmm. not meat or drink. And then really look at marching as your primary way in which to minister. Sure. That's a hard thing, I think, yeah. to reconcile. Yeah. And I think the implications with this issue of the church in Israel, those lines being blurred, I, I think is, is dangerous in that there's all of these promises in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel mm-hmm. that somehow now, as the church, there's something we've got to do with that. And so then what you'll find yourself doing is, is because you you'll either apply it directly mm-hmm. to the church. Oh, that's just for the church. That makes sense. We can apply that to the church. And you might have to force that a little bit, but you'll get that puzzle piece to fit somehow. Yeah. But then sometimes you just have to allegorize mm-hmm. uh, completely. Uh, you, the literality of the text gets lost because there's no way that promise for Israel applies to the church. Yeah. And so there's either way, there's some gymnastics that have to be done. Prophecy becomes very difficult to deal with mm-hmm. because... Prophecy is by and large focused on this nation because mm-hmm. there are promises that that have not yet been fulfilled mm-hmm. for the nation of Israel. So what do you do with a book like Revelation mm-hmm. where the whole point is, hey, guys, you missed it, but now he's back. Mm-hmm. This is the guy, Jesus Christ. Right. From a dispensational perspective, we've got chapters one through three and then 19 and on a little bit. Yeah, right. But there's a big middle portion. Yeah. What do you do? With 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 everything that's being talked about, well, well, it's it's spiritual in nature, or yeah, we're going through the tribulation, mm-hmm. or you know, and so what happens is it, it affects so much, yeah. it affects so much, and it seems like you know, I think some people would say, well, you know, these are brothers, and we can have these differences, and it's not a big deal, but it has it does have major implications for how your faith is worked out. If you believe you're going through the tribulation, well, that affects the way that you live, you think. It's a lens. It's a lens by which you see your faith and the world around you. Yeah. And uh, I think it is important to be able to understand uh, that Matthew chapter 24 is not about you. I, I think that's a really, really, really significant thing. I think it's really, really significant to not read Hebrews and say, well, I'm like a Hebrew now. And so this is for me, this is for the church, and I'm going to take it as... Because you're going to run into serious problems yeah. theologically. It's, it's, it's so interesting because I've got friends that are, that are of this camp, and we're good friends. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I know is that we're, we're talking about different things, and our perspective is different. And that's because mm-hmm. how we frame the Bible is different. So from their perspective, the Bible is about salvation, and so the types of messages that you're going to get and how those messages are preached. How do you preach through Isaiah? Well, you preach through it very devotionally, which is, there, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But Isaiah's got some stuff about some people. Like, mm-hmm. you have to get to that at some point. Yeah. And then, well, what does it look like from a dispensational perspective? God is trying to establish his kingdom. And for his purposes and his glory, he wants to use men and women to do it. Mm-hmm. We fail him over and over again, which is a commonality. Right. But the purpose is kingdom. It's not me. 
I just get to be a part of it, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go back to this idea of allegory in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, when we say, when we're talking about allegorizing and, and forcing um, literality into allegory, mm-hmm. like take instead of, of of the Bible meaning what it says and saying what it means. Now we've got to this this thing here becomes like metaphor. Mm-hmm. Explain how that works itself out in a covenant theological system. Sure. So from a from a practical level, it's difficult to be sure about what the scripture says in certain places because there are some things that are clearer than others, but where you get to a particular area where it should be taken literally and can be taken literally, but your framework won't let you take it literally. Well, then you have to find what's the equivalent or what it actually means. Mm-hmm. So when we say that God is going to give a particular land to an ethnic group called Israel, well, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Mm-hmm. How, how do you square that? Well, is it a spiritual land? Because it could be in this mm-hmm. case. It could be that, well, Jesus Christ ruling and reigning from a throne, maybe, or it could be that he's ruling and reigning from the throne of our hearts. Mm-hmm. Like you have to find a way to principally make something apply. Mm-hmm. But the Bible is not a book of, of principles; it's a book of concrete promises. Yeah, the Lord's going to do something. Yeah, and so once you start down that path, it's like, well, I know that it says that He's going to return on clouds, but come on. Yeah, I mean, it's just saying that because you know, it's a picture. Mm-hmm. It's, it's supposed to be poetic yeah. in nature or uh, it's a spiritual metaphor for us about you know about his coming but riding in the clouds for rapturing the church it it has a um, for lack of a better term it has a uh, a spiraling effect or like a snowballing effect mm-hmm. that once you start approaching God's word like well we can't square this mm-hmm. theologically so what do I do with it? I have to do something with it right um, it's like a you know, I, I think about. Uh, do you ever watch I Love Lucy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the famous episode with the chocolate can, on the conveyor belt. She's working in the chocolate oh, yeah, factory, yeah. Uh-huh. and it's like <laughs> the the it cranks up and it starts. It, the chocolates really start coming mm-hmm. down the, the conveyor belt, and she doesn't know what to do. She can't wrap the chocolates fast enough. Yeah. So since she's stuffing them in her shirt, mm-hmm. and, and it just gets out of hand, and I feel like that's that there's potential for that in a covenant perspective. Um, dealing with issues like cessationism, Mm -hmm. you know, like do the gifts cease? Um, You know, a lot of covenant folks would be opposed to Arminian Mm -hmm. ideas, but then they're not cessationists. Right. So then are you in the charismatic camp or not in the charismatic camp? Yeah. Um, It just gets difficult, doesn't it? I'm very bad at having things nebulous. Like Mm -hmm. I want clarity and I want order. Mm -hmm. And that's what any theological framework is trying to do. It's trying to provide clarity and order. Yeah, I think objectively speaking, there's a lot less clarity from a covenantal perspective Mm -hmm. because the major tenets of the framework, it's very hard to find them. If, If I were to give someone the Bible and say, find me patterns in scripture, I think that we could come to some 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 ideas of oh hey it it seems to be that God keeps trying to use people and they keep messing up. I think we'd find that pattern. Mm-hmm. If I were to give if I were to give the Bible to someone and say hey find me covenants in Scripture, I think they would land on some and not on others. Mm-hmm. I find I find it very difficult to think that they're going to land on covenants of grace and work and redemption mm-hmm. using nothing but the Bible. Yeah, yeah, and so I mean I think the the point you're making 
is good. I mean, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Um, for the most part, as far as what I can tell, is you can hold to a covenant theology position and be as saved as anybody. Absolutely. Right? Like that's, yeah. While there might be some hurdles, I believe, in terms of understanding God's word, which, you know, anytime the word of God gets muddled, uh, the gospel gets distorted. Mm hmm. And so I do think there are problems, but at the end of the day, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and this is an area of difference. And uh, the, the question is, which approach, hermeneutic approach, uh, is the most accurate and decisive and allows God's word to be as literal as possible? Mm -hmm. um, I think we can give God the benefit of the doubt that when he says something, he means it. Yeah. Like, I think we can do that. He wrote a book. He wrote a book. Right. Yeah. And um, so I, I have another thing that I want to bring up. Sure. Um, is this issue that a lot of times the claim is that, that dispensationalism is historically a fairly new concept mm -hmm. compared to covenant theology. And um, how is that? How is that? What do they mean by that? Sure. And why is that actually not true? So in a lot of cases, what they're looking at is the, what they'll call like a, a resurgence or a, a recent emergence with people like Darby and people mm -hmm. like Schofield. Yeah, these are guys that, for people who don't know, these are guys that had a major influence on systematizing right. what we understand to be dispensational right. theology. But I think that's a key word, is mm -hmm. that these are men that systematized it and by virtue popularized it, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that the framework doesn't exist. And right. from a from the other perspective, if you listen to covenant theologians, they're going to say the exact same thing because we could say, well, this is an invention that comes out of the Reformation, originally in response to Calvinism, but then kind of hijacked by Calvinism, mm -hmm. to which they would say, no, 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 patristics, early church fathers, right. were covenantal, right. And so, from an argumentation perspective, you can go into the histories of both. But if that's going to be your argument, it's going to be a wash in the end, right? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that's and that's so that's why the argument doesn't work is mm -hmm. because whatever they can say about the systematization of dispensational theology, well, the same thing can be said of covenant theology too. Mm -hmm. Is that the system the systematizing of of their perspective really only came about within the last five hundred years or so? While they might we might see early church leaders mm -hmm. espousing some of these concepts, well, the same thing is true of dispensational concepts. Yeah. There were early church fathers espousing those as well. And so the argument is awash. Dispensationalism isn't something that was invented 100 years ago. Yeah. And I think the other thing that you just can't, you can't forget is that Daniel didn't have 66 books. Mm -hmm. Isaiah didn't have 66 books. They had some had some crazy visions and saw some saw some things. Yeah, but the nature of revelation is progressive. We understand things in a different way than those that even wrote the scriptures. And take the the reforming of Israel. It was very hard for dispensationalists to take that literally and to believe it, just because it was such an impossible claim. Mm -hmm. This people group hadn't been a people group for 1900 years. Mm -hmm. And then in the forties, whiz bang, they're back and they've got a land. Yeah. How could that have happened? Well, if we look at the Bible literally, it happened because God said it was gonna happen. Mm -hmm. But would anyone, anyone of, of, of any theological framework thought for real that God was gonna do that? 
it'd be a tough sell. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that something is more clear uh, because it's more recent, um, tying those two together, if, if something is uh, now, it's easier to see now because we've gone further along in history, that doesn't mean that those that those concepts and that those literal actual promises didn't exist. Didn't exist. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Okay, so, man, I, I don't know if there's other things that you want to address. I want to give you as much space to, to, to like really make this um, clear for our listeners as sure. possible. But I do, maybe we can talk about those things in the context of like, if, if there are people who are listening, mm -hmm. who um, aren't dispensational, maybe they came up in a covenant theological system. Um, maybe they didn't even know mm -hmm. that they were in it. Like a lot of people probably just don't know. They just grow up in it and they hear the preaching and teaching. It comes from a certain context. Oh yeah, your pastors and your teachers were covenant in their perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so whether by circumstance or by choice, sure. what would you say uh, in, in order to make an argument to consider dispensational theology over uh, a covenant perspective? Sure. Well, I think the first thing I would say is that someone that holds to covenant theology, like you said, can be as saved as any other person yeah. that's ever lived. Yeah, there's certainly dispensationalists who aren't saved. That's correct. <laughs> right. Yeah. So your theology doesn't mean you know Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, His death, yeah. burial, and resurrection, the promise is eternal life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the question is, is where does growth come and can you achieve it for yourself? Mm -hmm. And I am, you know, I know what I know personally. Looking at a covenant theology perspective, it's very difficult for me to imagine how I could become as a father, <laughs> as a Bible student, mm -hmm. as someone that, you know, just has a lot of life to live, that I can open up my Bible and use that framework to systematically understand what God wants from me mm -hmm. and be intellectually honest doing so. Yeah. And I'm not saying that people are wringing their hands oh, trying sure. to find. Yeah, very well-intentioned, good-hearted people. This is not a, we're not addressing people's character or, or what they're hoping. Not at all. From the Lord, right? It, when I read the Bible, there are certain structures that are there. And it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if I had a if I had a shirt, they, they start making shirts with like that that are printed all over, you know, like yeah. all over prints. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just like a big photo, like a big cat. All head. over the front, yeah. around the side, up yeah. the back. Yeah, yeah. So like imagine one of those shirts and whatever you want like, to do. Like like the George Costanza hoodie from the commercial. Okay, it could be that. I, I love Seinfeld. <laughs> I know. So you that's do. the first thing I thought of was the George Costanza hoodie from the from the commercial. The the, the first thing I thought of was like uh you know, sometimes they have like bodybuilder like prints, like muscle, yeah, like yeah. fake muscles on the t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can wear that t-shirt, mm -hmm. but I don't have those muscles. That's true. Because my structure is my structure for yeah. better or for worse. Right. What I what I think is that from a dispensational perspective, the structure is the structure. Mm -hmm. I think the Bible's structured dispensationally, and I think what covenant theology does is it says, "Hey, same same muscles muscles." Actually, those muscles are in different places, mm -hmm. and some of those are non-existent. Me putting on a muscle shirt does not a muscle man make. <laughs> and so I think, I think that's that would be my encouragement: is follow follow the claims of covenant theology to its logical end. If you can square the fact that God uses two separate words to mean the same thing, well, man, 
go fight, win, preach the gospel, do that thing. But if you if you read the Bible and you go, I just can't get over the fact that church and Israel are two different words. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are two different words. And promises to a particular people group aren't reiterated for this other people group. Yeah. But other promises are made to this people group. Yeah. And then that, what then what do you do with Romans nine through eleven? Like what you get stuck. It it gets tough. Mm-hmm. And so I think the I think what happens is is that because of those things, we go, well, I'll leave it to someone else to figure out. Mm-hmm. You're a pastor, so part of your duty is to study the word. Mm-hmm. I'm not a pastor, which is one, why I'm sweating. <laughs> and Two, uh, I actually don't need you to figure out the Bible for me. Yeah. I need you to encourage me to hold to the Bible. Yes. But theoretically, you and I can be talking about the same passage and know how to apply that passage correctly Mm -hmm. because we can see the same thing without having to put on a muscle shirt. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good, man. Well, Van, I'm so thankful for this time with you hanging out, talking about this. I'm so thankful for the PS Plus because I think it's been a great resource. It, It does fit so neatly in between the episodes of the postscript. Mm. Um, I love the format. I love that it's it's 10 minutes, it's short. It's not a huge commitment other than intellectually. You've sure. got to really turn on your thinking cap when you listen. You can't you can't miss 30 seconds. You can't zone out for 30 seconds in a PS Plus not, episode. Not a 10-minute podcast. Yeah, no. You've really got to focus. But it, it does provide a great value for our listeners, and I'm, I'm really thankful that we get to partner this way. And we're going to keep touching base like this and, and yeah. doing big recaps. I'll be less and less nervous each time. That's good. Cool. I'm hopeful for that. <laughs> me, me too, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, but I love you, dude. Love you too. Appreciate dude. it. And we want to thank you as well for joining us for another episode of The Postscript. Uh, we do want to encourage you, go and check out the PS Plus. These episodes are coming out every other Wednesday, and you really do need to stay with them. You need to listen to them in succession uh, in order to to stay with what Van's talking about. But but they are a huge asset and, and I think a blessing to the listeners that listen every week. And uh, But if today's episode, if our conversation about covenant theology was um, interesting, intriguing, maybe provoking, maybe convicting to you, uh, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I actually don't, I don't know what my systematic theology is. I don't know uh, how to study God's word. I have ideas. Um, uh, I've come up being taught. Uh, and you want to grow. You want to grow. You want to know more about God's word. You want to know how to study it for yourself, make it your own. We want to invite you to visit lfbi.org. Check out what the school has to offer. Check out our program of study and uh, and consider applying uh, we want nothing more than to teach you God's word and, and build you up because it only benefits the kingdom of God if you know his book and you understand the mission for yourself. And so uh, that's our invitation to you. We're not, you know, the school is only $40 a credit hour. We're not making a ton of money. Um, we're not trying to make money. Uh, we're trying to teach people uh, God's word so that they can be strengthened to do his work. That's it. That's the only agenda that we have. And so we want to invite you to join us. Uh, we love you. We're so thankful that you were with us today for this episode. We'll see you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. God bless.